Just a couple of quick announcements before we get started. Uh, we currently have a webinar open for registration, a skeleton key to your experience from a Jungian perspective with Boris Matthews, PhD, LCSW, NCSI-A Jungian analyst on May 7th from 1 to 4 p.m. Chicago time. The Jungian Psychotherapy Program and Jungian Studies Program are both open for enrollment. Finally, this is the second week of our spring fundraising drive. Uh, during this drive, we'll be releasing one episode of the podcast per week. Um, if you would like to support the drive, you can, uh, if you would like to support the drive, learn more about the JVP and JSP or the webinar, just visit our website, youngchicago.org. Anthology podcast from the C.G. Jung Institute of Chicago, Learning as a Path to Individuation, interview with JPP JSB directors Adina Davidson and Andrea Gaspar Gonzalez. In this episode, Patricia Martin interviews Adina Davidson, PhD, and Andrea Gaspar Gonzalez, PsyD of the upcoming Jungian Psychotherapy Program and Jungian Studies Program about the process of individuation in this cultural moment. It's a lively discussion about self-development during moments of crisis, what is necessary to integrate painful realizations, and what happens if we don't. What do we need as individuals and groups to follow the individuation process rather than retreating into persona? For those interested in the programs, both Adina and Andrea discuss their philosophies of teaching and explain what to expect. Before we get to the interview, I just want to read a submission from one of our listeners. Maria from Spain says, I discovered Jung and immediately felt identified with many of the things he wrote about dreams, synchronicities, and personality traits. After a while, I decided to reach out for a Jungian analyst as I had been going through a depressive stage in my life for some years. I was 40. I've been undergoing analysis since September 2019 and currently feel much better. I love the podcast. It is a privilege to have access to all of these lectures. Thank you. You are very welcome. You can support this free podcast by making a donation, becoming a member of the Institute, or making a purchase in our online store. Your support enables us to provide free and low-cost educational resources to all. Now let's get to the interview. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Jungian Anthology, the podcast of the C.G. Jung Institute of Chicago. I'm Patricia Martin, your host. I'm a cultural analyst, author, and professional affiliate here at the Institute. And it's my pleasure to welcome Andrea Gaspar Gonzalez and Adina Davidson to the podcast today. They are both accomplished Jungians in their own right, and I'd like to tell you a little bit more about them. Andrea Gaspar Gonzalez holds a PsyDoc, that's a doctorate in psychology, and she's a practicing therapist in the Chicagoland area. Her focus is on the treatment of trauma and sexual abuse. 
She was a recent fellow in the Jungian psychotherapy program and a graduate of the Jungian studies program, both at the C.G. Jung Institute of Chicago. Her current research is about the collective psyche and the application of Jung's theories to the present cultural climate. And she's re-examining the archetype and archetypal material, especially as it relates to the concept of the feminine from a fourth wave feminist perspective. Adina Davidson is our other guest. She's a PhD, a Jungian analyst, and a graduate of the C.G. Jung Institute of Chicago. She's in private practice in Cleveland Heights and Beechwood. Both of those are in Ohio. And she serves as an adjunct professor at the Cleveland Institute of Art. Adina is also on the board of Young Cleveland. Both of you, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. So both of you are instructors at the C.G. Young Institute of Chicago. And today we're going to talk about that journey that people take to learn about the work of Carl Jung and how that journey shapes their lives. So uh, first of all, I want to thank you both for being here. You're both very busy and uh, you have a lot of insight, I think, in this time of upheaval and you know, life during COVID. And you've been teaching, both of you have been co-teaching a, a program throughout the pandemic on uh, Jung's final work, Memories, Dreams, and Reflections. And I'm, I think, just think that's so poignant that you have had this opportunity to impart the work and wisdom of Carl Jung remotely. Andrea, I want to start with you. What stood out about that experience of teaching that kind of, you know, intimate work in a remote Zoom situation? Yeah, um, it's a great question. It was such it was such a transition um, for all of us, and um, I was I was actually finishing up uh, my fellowship in the Union um, Psychotherapy Program, the JPP, when everything moved to online and the pandemic started. So that was my first my first experience and transition there, and you know I had the pleasure of being um, hooked up with Adina and Dan um, to start talking about the JPP JSP program and what we we're going to do, and um, so we decided to um, to develop a program um, that could be fully online, given this new world that we were living in, and we were. It's, it was wonderful how creative we were all able to be together. And I, I feel very lucky that we've connected um, because it's been, it's been really nice to have this connection and this creativity together, especially during these times. Um, because I wasn't sure when this all started, you know, how are we going to make this transition in the different areas in our lives? But we came together to develop a program um, that was fully online um, with the memories, dreams, reflections, and um, I think that we spent a lot of time wanting to be intentional about what it would be like. We had a lot of meetings talking about it and wanting to make sure that it, that it really served both, both the work, um, and, and the participants and their experience. Um, but in this new platform that I think we were kind of all figuring out at the same time, if I may say so, Adina, and, um, I think it's translated really well. And I think it's been a really lovely thing for people to have during this time to sort of be able to move out of our isolated spheres and come together once a month 
with such connecting work where we could connect to each other, where we could connect to the material and to our bodies and really sit with it. Um, and being able to have, you know, times outside the weekends where pairs will meet together and learn together. Um, so I think it's provided a really great experience of connection in a time that really feels quite isolated um, for most folks. So that's fascinating to me that you were able to, you know, through the Zoom platform, transcend that technology and deliver something that was very meaningful. And Adina, how did you see it? So for me, the it really was an individuation process at lots of different levels. So I think that we very much, first of all, Memories, Dreams, and Reflections is about Carl Jung's individuation process. Yes. And everything that flowed from that. So we really consciously chose to use his individuation process as a lens that people could use into their own individuation processes. I would also say, and maybe I'm only speaking for myself, but I think I'd be speaking for all three of us to say that the the process of creating something new was an individuation process for me as well. That taking something from, okay, we want to do something online and we want to have it do something with the development of Carl Jung's thought and, and really bringing that into life, bringing that kind of ethereal theory, intuitive, nishmush into something that is concrete, that happens once a month and once a week for the paired learning, that 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 also is an individuation process. So Um, you're saying that thinking about it, planning it, structuring it was its own individuation process. Absolutely. Because Absolutely. You, I'm, I'm guessing what you're saying here, Adina, and I think you're saying something similar, Andrea, is that to do this, you had to put yourself in the shoes of somebody who was sitting in their living room or sitting in their study on, on a laptop trying to learn from you, right? For sure. And also, I think every time you take something from the realm of pure idea or pure archetype or pure intuition into concrete embodied life, that, that creative act is part of individuation. And so I think both creating this program and experiencing the program, being a participant of the program, were both avenues for individuation. How fascinating. You know, I want, I feel like I want to jump in here for some of our listeners because we have so many listeners from so many backgrounds worldwide and just kind of kick around uh, definitions that we can all share about individuation because it is one of Carl Jung's big ideas. And uh, I'll, I'll go first. I'll, I'm willing to go first and, and, and say that, you know, to me, it encompasses how we grow into ourselves, how we become a whole person. Um, how, how we learn to connect our unconscious with our, 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 our consciousness. It, what, how else would you might chip in on that definition? Either one of you. Well, oh, would you like to go? Yeah, go ahead. Um, 
So something that always comes to mind for me, and I hope I don't um, attribute it to the wrong person, but I think it was June Singer who talked about it being like a boat on the ocean. Um, And if it's not June Singer, I, I am so sorry for not remembering the right person, but that you are learning, basically you're learning about the boat and how to steer the boat. You're learning about the water and the currents and the waves and the wind. And you have to learn all of these pieces in order to be able to navigate and understand too, that there are parts of it that, you know, a lot of it actually that you're not in control of. You're just this little person holding on to this wheel of this boat on this massive ocean, with this whole world around you that you have to come into awareness of to be able to navigate. And that there are all these different forces around you that have to, uh, you have to learn how to move with, that you have to learn, that your body has to learn, that your, your soul has to learn in order to be able to move through this, through this life. Um, so that was, for me, that's what I think of when I think of individuation. I'm probably not doing her, her image of it complete justice, but. Oh, I don't know. I, I you know so what? Her to me. It, I, I think that's a beautiful, you know, very visual. And um, Adina, do you have anything to add to that? You know what I would add is maybe a little prosaic in comparison to that incredibly beautiful image, which is that I think that sometimes people confuse individuation with individualism. Oh. And so I think that sometimes people think that individuation means something that sort of separates me from other people. And, you know, that I'm becoming sort of more and more my individual self in my little box. Right. And I think that that's, that's something that we need to be very careful of. There are people for whom who have maybe been very extroverted, very outer oriented, very connection oriented, for whom that becoming whole is really a matter of turning inward and involves some separation. But there are other people who perhaps were more separated to begin with, who it's going to be more connecting outward. And Jung said, no matter what, when you have those times of turning inward, you then have an obligation to bring that back out into the world. And again, I think this whole, to kind of bring it back to the program planning that Andrea and I have been doing, that I think that that's, that's very much that end of the individuation process. I think both of us had the luxury of doing some pretty intensive inward processes in, in our training, for me in analytic training, for Andrea in the, the JPP and, um, and JSP, the Jungian Studies Program. And then I think for both of us, that individuation process led us to bring what we encountered in our own depths back out into the world to share that. Um, yeah. So, that- so, you know, I, um, I also participated, participated in the JSP, JPP program. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I recall so profoundly is the feeling of being in that community Mm 
and having everyone on their own journey individuating as they engage in Carl Jung's work. So I'm wondering, as you imagine now, you both plus your colleague, Daniel Ross, will be teaching that program. That's been a very longstanding, very successful program for the C.G. Jung Institute of Chicago. How are you envisioning it now? How are you reimagining it? And what can people expect from it? Well, I think one of the things actually is that we're going to have a lot of consistency with what has been. That, the, you know, the, we, I think we all felt like the basic structure of the program was really an incredibly valuable one for all of the people who'd been through it. Um, and we wanted to retain that. So it's quite different, actually, than the memories, dreams, and reflections where we were creating something completely new. This is more looking at something that has worked so beautifully for so many years and so many people and saying, how, how do we keep it going? How do we stay true to its spirit in a time of COVID? Are there adaptations that we will have to make? while staying true to to the spirit, to the connection, to the intimacy that has been such an important part of that program. Andrea, let me ask you about that too. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, um, agree with everything Adina said. We really wanted to make sure um, to honor the program as it is while also adapting it as we needed to, to the times. Um, because I, you know, I've been through it twice now um, as, as a member of the cohort and as a fellow, and it's a beautiful experience. Um, it's been extremely meaningful to me. It means a lot to me. Um, and so we wanted to make sure to, um, to be able to, to do it justice, whether it was online you know, which, you know, may happen at the start, right? Um, and, and as we transition then, you know, to in-person when that happens. And so um, we wanted to think about, you know, how do, we, how do we translate while still keeping true to the program, um, translate this to, to Zoom, to online. We have that experience now of creating something brand new with the MDR through the Zoom platform. And I think that's given us a lot of insights going through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're taking that knowledge and we're taking the, the heart and the soul, I think, of the JPP and JSP program and then moving it on. We're having a couple of different plans, you know, kind of seeing how things, how things go as we have to be flexible with, with, with the pandemic and, and how things are and, and what's safe. Um, but I think that we're, we're doing justice to the program, whether it ends up starting online or whether it ends up starting in person, um, I feel very confident that it will retain um, its core identity and what makes it so um, so moving for participants and for people who, who are teaching or directing. Yeah, I wonder if um, part of what you maybe 
have insight in being both pioneers and online learning uh, as a result of the pandemic is how to witness someone's individuation as they learn and to kind of, you know, hold the space for it so that, you, you know, people you can develop and grow confident in the material and, what kind of feedback do you get from your students about that part of it? Well, I think one thing that's really important um, that we've, we've been talking about and um, we want to be sure of, and, and we've been uh, developed for the MDR and we're continuing to think about and develop um, for the two-year program starting in the fall is really that idea of containment and the container and wanting to really have that, that safety, which is necessary to be able to, to connect deeply to the, to the work, to the theory, to each other, to yourself. Um, and that we're really being intentional about creating this container for, for the weekend to create this container for the group, for the cohort, so that they can come together with their individual energies and with the group dynamic that develops to be able to move through this process individually and as a group, because I think the individuation happens on both levels. Um, but that they, uh, that we're creating that space for them to be able to do so. And this is something that we do through the, pro you know, through the large groups um, to bring people together to kind of be able to settle into our bodies. And we're paying a lot of attention to, as we have in, in the MDR program, to our bodies, you know, because when we're sitting all the time, uh, we, we lose that or we're uncomfortable and that pulls us. And so we want to make sure to bring the body into it. Um, to, so it's, it's part of the process. Um, so we're kind of creating, taking all these pieces that we've learned and, and been thinking about to create this container to help facilitate these dynamics. I see you, Adina. You're shaking your head, so I know you have something to add to this. Yeah, I just, I, last month in Memories, Dreams, and Reflections, we read a whole section that Jung wrote about the idea of temenos. And temenos is the sacred circle that you draw around yourself. It's a, both creates a protected and sacred space within which one can un confront the unconscious. And I think that when Andrea talks about the container, that's the, that, that's the same idea of a, a, a temenos. And so when we do, when we go through this two-year program, we are going to encounter the unconscious, right? Everybody who goes through it is going to encounter other people's experiences of their unconscious and our own experiences of our own unconscious. And what the program, one of the things that the program does, obviously, is to create chances for those encounters, but to do them within that temenos, within that sacred circle. Um, yeah. So I, I, this is fascinating. Uh, in other words, part of the skill development that goes on is people learn to do that, right? As a, a, as a way to walk through life is to consciously, first of all, step into the space 
where Temnos can make it possible that you have an encounter with the unconscious. I, that feels like missionary work in the 21st century, you know, as I, as I, as I look at, out at the culture, which is my job to do. Um, and maybe, you know, of course, Andrea, you might have insight into this as well. I think about the part of us that wants to learn and is curious about the world and eager to expand. And I wonder as a collective, how, how is that part of us holding up? in the culture right now. Do you have any thoughts on that? Ooh. <laughs> I know it's a pretty right. big idea. <laughs> right. Um, gosh. Um, Are we okay? Do you think that we're going to bounce back and there's not, not going to be any, any glitch in, mm-hmm. in the collective psyche's ability to kind of rebound and keep learning or, or have we been worn down? Has there been some wear and tear here? Well, I, I certainly think there's been some wear and tear um, in the collective. I, I, I think that's clear. I don't think you, that can be denied, but there can be wear and tear and there can still be recovery from that. Um, I, you know, it's, it's a hard question because I will say that I, I hold both the light and the dark and the possibilities for both. I hope with, with all my being, that we do recover. I think there is opportunity for that. I think that if we, oh, if we can find those places in our souls, if we can do the work that I, I, I feel strongly that the collective is moving us towards, if we don't resist that so much, if we don't resist this unconscious coming up and all of these things that we're having to confront. If we don't, you know, split from that and push it away and say, no, this, I don't want to do this work. This isn't the work, you know, that, that we wanted to accept, or we don't want to look at this. I think, you know, there, um, there's a real risk, unfortunately, to that. Um, and a lot of harm um, that comes through that. Um, and I think, you know, we're at a, a very, a, a delicate balance bouncing point right now. Um, I hate to be, you know, pessimistic, but there's the possibility, right? Where we might, we might not recover. Something new will be created down the road. Um, that's what happens. Um, and it can, and it's very painful now. And that process can be extremely painful, but, um, but I also think there is the possibility that despite how difficult, um, things are and, and the pain that we're experiencing collectively that we can move through this, but it is a process of moving through, not away or not trying to skip somewhere else. We have to go through it. Um, So what you're really saying is um, like it or not, this is the sea that we find ourselves on in our boats and we're better off confronting it and navigating it than not. Yes, right. exactly. Very exactly. good. Adina? I would just add to that. There's an idea that when individuals, but also collectives face a crisis, there's kind of two possibilities. And one is regression to persona. One is to say, mm, 
I am not going to deal with the reality of that. I am going to hang on to what was before this crisis mm-hmm. and, and I'm not going to face the change that is necessary. I'm going to, I'm going to regress. I'm going to go, I'm going to say, I'm going to go backwards. Mm-hmm. And when people and cultures do that, we are diminished. We are less than we were before. And why is that? Because we've needed to make ourselves smaller to avoid the crisis. I I think the example that maybe is the easiest to kind of connect to is midlife crisis. And I think we can all, and, and midlife crisis is fundamentally a confrontation with mortality just like we've all been experiencing in the past year, right? And so one choice is to say, oh no, not me, I'm not mortal, I'm still young. I'm gonna, I'm gonna act like I'm still in my 20s, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pretend that this revelation about mortality has not come into my life. And I think we all know people who have chosen that way of dealing with their midlife experiences and they are diminished. They're, they're, le- they're less than they were when they were authentically in their twenties, when they're in their fifties and they're still marrying people who are in their twenties, trying to keep their bodies and, and facial faces looking like they're in their twenties. It makes you less or you can say you can take that confrontation with mortality and you can say this is terrifying this unravels my sense of self and i'm going to look into that as open eyed as i can and take in this new reality that i am mortal i have limits And, and be changed by that. Be perhaps softened by it. Be more conscious as a result of it. Rethink your priorities. And what is really, really important to me because life is limited. And, and again, and, and I think that as kind of, as Andrea was saying, Collectively, we're faced with that choice right now. We can regress to persona. We can go, okay, we're just going back to the way it was before. Or we can say, oh, no, we are genuinely vulnerable in ways that we had not experienced ourselves collectively as being. And we can figure out what it means to soften, to be more compassionate, to be, to be clearer about what our priorities are as a culture. I think it'll be fascinating to see if that conversation can be had, if people are ready for that yet. Are, there, are they standing in their strength enough to have the conversation? You know? and, and, and that's the hope right? Because if you can have the conversation, then the growth occurs. If you can't, then the diminishment is inevitable. Well, and it seems to me that 
perso- the persona was never intended to do all this work. It was never intended to do all this heavy lifting. You know, I, when I, when I talked to the people in my research cohort about how much time they're using online, spreading the persona as thinly and as broadly as it possibly can be stretched. And, and they're suddenly feeling all of these side effects. And so I, I think about this and I think about the future of Jungianism. Like, why study Carl Jung now? Why is it important for you to teach it and people to learn it? I, I'm, I, I'm eager to hear what either one of you might have to say to that. I, again, because I think that this idea of consciousness is... That's the hope, that if we can be conscious and present to our own experiences, including, if I'm going to be honest, what's been a very dark year, but if I can be conscious and present to my own experience of that dark year, then something new can come out of that. And if, and if I cannot be conscious and present, then as you said, I'm just going to lean on, on persona. And it's not persona's job to do that. It's too much to ask. You know? So I think that's at least part of what Jung brings to scary, difficult times. Oh. I think that the other thing, and I remember, Andrea, you talked about this, so I'm, going to, I'm just going to introduce it, and then I'm going to ask you to talk about it, was that Jung's life is actually particularly suited to, to transitions, to crises, because he lived through two world wars right. on his soil. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm going to, like, if you want to expand on that, because I'm really stealing that idea from you, Andrea. No, that's Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, we are all informed by our experience and Carl Jung is no different. And so how he managed to, I think, navigate those times of crises, how it informed his ideas and his theory, because he is, I mean, he is not separated. It's not something where he's, he has these theories and they live outside of him and they, they are grounded through his body and his experiences, which is a lovely thing about MDR and bringing that in. Right. Um, but he, like Adina said, you know, he lived through these times of turmoil and he experienced his own descent, which is what we're going through now is a cultural collective descent process. Um, and the confrontation, um, that has to occur. Um, and so I think that because his theories and his ideas are grounded in his experiences and that his experiences include, you know, these, these cultural and personal descents, um, like we're going through now, um, that he's particularly well suited to our times. Um, and that for me, kind of what, what feels, uh, so important to pay attention to in his work. And I, I agree with, with Adina in terms of the hope of, you know, the, our, our conscious um, 
confronting and being able to move us, move us through um, and not, you know, regressing um, into a rigid persona that, that's too brittle to carry it. Um, but um, the idea of, of shadow and the depth of that and how you apply um, Jung's idea of, of the psyche and all its places and how that layers perfectly over the collective. I feel anyway. Um, and that's, so you can really take his ideas, you know, and, and uh, he did this, but these individual pieces of, of the psyche and the shadow and complex and all these theories that we learn about and how those then just overlay on our cultural and collective experience. And I think you really see it active in the world right now on a larger level than, I mean, it's amplified because it is on that collective level and we can see it in play and all these pieces of the psyche in play that we experience on a, on a very personal level as well. Andrea and Adina, you know, you, you make me think about the struggle of that was Carl Jung's life, right? The famous breakup with Sigmund Freud, you know, the rise and fall of his own practice, his own descent stories that led him to, you know, sitting by a lake and stacking rocks until something came to him. And it, it, it's calling me to say what your program, what the JPP and JSP part of it will do, not only will it impart a lot of knowledge about the life work and theories of Carl Jung, but it's sort of an exercise in learning how to take a descent, take a, take a moment of, of transformation and make it productive instead of destructive, right? To ask yourself questions about, well, what can I learn from this? How can I grow from this suffering? And I, I think that is um, a signal of hope, probably, that the culture really needs. Is there anything about Carl Jung that you wish, you know, people would unlearn. There's that saying, you know, you, you can't unlearn something that you learn, but people have a lot of ideas and um, misinterpretations of Carl Jung's work. What do you wish they would unlearn? Honestly, I think that mostly what people have about Jung is a complete absence of knowledge. Really? I do. I don't. I think that, I mean, when I tell people that I'm a Jungian psychologist, everybody goes, oh, a union psychologist, like for the UAW or something. Um, and I think about my own introduction to Jung, uh, which was when I first started teaching at the Cleveland Institute of Art. Uh, the chair of my department said, well, you need, I was teaching psychology classes. And he said, you need to um, teach Jung and Lacan because they're art students. And I'm like, I never heard of Lacan. And I had one class on Jung, not one class, one, literally one 50 minute class on Jung in my intro psych class, my freshman year of college. And nobody ever mentioned him again. And I would never have known that there was a psychological theory that encompasses so much of human psyche. Mm. 
I, I only encountered psychological theories where you sort of have to chop off big blocks of what it is that makes us human to fit the theory. Mm-hmm. I would never have known if my, you know, chair hadn't said, well, you need to go read Jung and Lacan. Interesting. So and I, there's not a real breadth of understanding at all. I don't, don't, yeah, think, I don't think people culture. need to unlearn. I think they need to be introduced to. Um, and, and how about you, yeah, Andrea? I, I would tend to agree with that. Um, and I think if there's anything to, I don't necessarily think unlearn, but learn or uh, soften is to, to have an openness because I do think that there is, you know, I, I had a very similar experience. Jung was very briefly discussed um, in my doctoral program. Um, and sometimes, you know, sort of brushed aside, you know, some of the, you know, the, the brushstrokes in terms of, oh, mystic, psychotic, you know, those maybe are the things to unlearn or to, or to open right? Mm-hmm. You know, to say, okay, well, and what, what does that mean? Right. Let's that, unpack that. Exactly. Exactly. And so I think really it, it's more about having a stance of openness, having, um, having a, a softening and a willingness to, to take in kind of the, the rather, uh, you know, new information to a lot of people, I think. Um, because it does, as Adina said, like it's it's wonderful to have um, a psychological world that can hold all of you, and not just all of you, but I I would say the whole world. It's not just a psychology for an individual. I I mean I don't think um, it encompasses how we connect to others. It encompasses culture and anthropology and you know, uh, collective realms and how, how we all fit together. You know, there are really exciting areas that are coming up with eco psychology and that have been actually around for a while, but seem to be more, more on people's mind lately. And, you know, so how the planet fits into all of this, how the earth fits into all of this. I mean, it's, it's an enormous theory. Um, but it's I interesting know, right. What if the collective knew it was a collective is the question, right? I mean, wouldn't that be powerful? Wouldn't that be so class by class, student by student, I guess you're, you're chipping into that. You're, you're, you're adding to the collective knowing it's a collective and that that's there's strength and vitality in that idea. And that what we think about and put into that collective affects everyone. It's, it's sort of a, it's a way, I guess, to look at the future and, um, I want to ask you both because I ask everyone this question. When you were looking at your future as an analyst therapist, how did you come to young? And I know Adina, you said somebody at the art Institute said, you know, Hey, read Lacan and read young, but there's always something more that, you know, there's a, there's a knowing that draws someone to young. And I'm curious for both of you what that was like, oh yeah, this is for me. Well, I mean, for me, once I got the assignment and I'm a good girl, so I'm, you know, if my boss says, 
do X, I'm going to at least try to do X, right? So what, once I got the assignment, I realized I could not make head nor tail of Lacan, and I had no idea how to teach it. And I've never made head nor tail of Lacan, so didn't do anything with that. But that the thing that just entered my heart with Jung was this sense that spirit, that something bigger than ourselves has to be in the room for healing and growth to happen. And that that is an integral part of an understanding of human psyche. And what about you, Andrea? Yeah. Um, to take us out on, on your, uh, your knowing moment. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting thing because I often wonder about it myself where it's like, where, how did this journey begin exactly? And I can't quite pinpoint it, but it was actually, it was very, I guess I could say it very, um, synchronistic, um, which is another part of Jung's theory, but, but really all of these things came together in my life sort of at the same time, pretty much by chance. So I was working on my, uh, my dissertation. I was in the beginning stages, um, of coming up with my proposal. And I had an idea of wanting, you know, to study a certain thing. And, and someone's like, well, have you, have you read much about Jung's idea of shadow? So I came into Jung through shadow and that concept. And at the same time, I started my, my own individual therapy process. And I, you know, I, um, searched, you know, for someone, um, who, uh, had, had some gestalt background, but it turned out that they were a Jungian analyst. And then at the same time, then I, the, I, well, okay, well, let's see what's kind of going on with Jung in Chicago. And I found the Institute. And so while I was in my graduate um, program, um, I, uh, I applied for the JSP, the Union Studies program, and I started that. So it was all these things coming together at the same time. And for me, it was like, it's really connected to my soul. It was the work of my soul. And I, it felt like just dropping down into this realm that I, I knew existed, um, but I didn't have language for, um, I didn't have a map exactly. Um, and suddenly finding myself in the space and realizing how vast it is and how interconnected it is. And it just, all made sense to me, you know, reading Jung and being like, Oh, Oh, uh, someone else thinks this. Um, yeah, oh, I this is how the world works. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. And that really was just like, okay, well, this is, this is home. This is home. And I don't know if this is true for you, Andrea, but it was for me, not just did it give me language for talking about soul and spirit, but it gave me permission oh, to talk about soul and spirit as it relates to my work as a therapist. Yes. That it wasn't something that had to be shut off in, for me, synagogue, but something that really was an integral part of human psyche that enters into everything in our lives. Yes. Yes. I love, exactly. It makes me wonder if that's why people really show up in your classes, because there's something liminal about to happen their souls know it 
and they draw them to the Institute. And for people out there who are listening, first of all, I want to thank both of you for a wonderful interview. Thank you so much. And I want to give people information about how to apply for the JSP and JPP program. If you go to the website, youngchicago.org and download an application, download the information, applications will be accepted until July 1st, 2021. And the program begins in the fall and it will be a hybrid. Is that correct? It's hybrid to start and it will hopefully grow into weekends where people actually meet in person. Do I have that right? What I would say is that we're, we are going to follow CDC guidelines for safety. Very good. So when it is safe for us to gather, we will gather. And when it is not safe for us to gather, we will gather virtually. Perfect. Thank you all very much. And I give you great marks for how you've set the program up. And I'm sure many people will benefit from it. Thank you so much. This was really, you're a wonderful interviewer. Really great. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for the conversation. It's been yeah. great. So thank you. Yeah. I enjoyed it as much as you did. This podcast is distributed under a creative commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it all you like, as long as you maintain the attribution to the speaker but please do not change it or sell it. If you like this episode, tell your friends about us or leave us a review on iTunes. For more information about classes, training programs, videos, audio, this podcast, or to find a Jungian analyst near you, visit our website, www.jungchicago.org. Thank you to the 2020 donors who gave at the supporting member level and above. Barbara Anand, Usha and Ashok Beatty, Jackie K. Bryan, Eric Cooper, Judith Cooper, Kevin Davis, George J. Didier, James Fidelibus, John Koroluski, Marty Manning, Diane Sherwood, Deborah P. Stutzman, Deborah Tobin, Alexander Wayne and Lynn Kopp, Gerald Weiner, Karen West, and James Taylor, and Ellen Young. And thank you to everybody else who gave at that level but wishes to remain anonymous.